the real estate business is the dollar business. Everybody wants to be in the dollar business. Sell a million dollar home and get twenty five thousand dollars, and it takes you three you know three weeks. And then the property management's the nickel business. You know nobody wants to be in the nickel business, but we turn nickels into dollars. That's what we're trying to do as an industry. Well, association management's the penny business. And everybody wants to walk around the pennies to get to the nickels to get to the dollars. But the the, the difference is, for many years, residential management, even though it was the nickel business, the margins were like pennies. Uh, well, even though association management's the penny business, the margins are like dollars. The margins is better. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today I have Scott Brady on the show. Scott, how you doing? I'm lost in your dreamy eyes, Jordan. Right now, <laughs> that's all I can say. It's great having you on, man. How you yeah. been? Good. Well, you know, it was an interesting year in the in the Brady family. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. What does that mean? Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll segue into how you impacted it. But um, I was diagnosed with uh, throat cancer, mm. if you didn't know, in uh, January and had to spend three months more or less on my back with 36 radiation treatments and three chemo treatments. And uh, uh, good news is it's a very treatable disease. Uh, and uh, so I had my PET scan about three weeks ago. And it's clear. But because of a uh, a conference I went to that you conducted, I guess, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I had made a pivot. So I was working on the business, not in it for the last year and a half. So when I got back from my sickness, business had gone up 40%, added doors, associations, staff. And um, and it was really because of uh, that conference and, and, and going to that, that one meeting that really started me on that path that took me to where I am today. Wow, that's yeah. incredible, man. That yeah. is a lot. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of takeaways and we can get into that, <laughs> sure. that more. But one of the things that's related to that segue is that I assume you must have had had to have had some more free time because you actually you wrote a book <laughs> since the last time that we talked. Tell me about the book. Well, that's a book I wrote probably right before that. Um, and that I, I do um, you know, sell or give to people in our industry. But it was in my imagination, like, I'll have these three months. I'll be so productive while I'm going through chemo, t chemotherapy and radiation. And what you find is, yeah, you're well, a little- What an entrepreneurial delusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're I, get, little, I get to be productive yeah. during chemo. You're a little irritable when you're going through that and uh, sure. when you're on uh, uh, you know, liquid morphine. So uh, I kind of sketched it out and had in my mind what I was going to do. But pretty much after I got through the uh, treatments, then I started working on the ABCs of HOAs because um, I do association management. And I finished that um, just – I did the book just shipped last week. So um, – but it was, it, it was in my head percolating while I was you know, in the bed at 7 o'clock at night. You know, Scott, you're an interesting character. What I've observed about you is that as you've grown the business, you've continued to – Ideate and this idea of being an ideas guy is a really fragile thing. Oftentimes, being an ideas guy is another way of saying I'm, I'm not particularly good at anything, or I'm lazy, or I'm evasive with like actual functional responsibility. I experience you as an, a functional ideas guy that is actually taking the ideas and doing things. Where does that kind of creative, compulsive gene come from to you? <laughs> I like the word compulsive. Well, it's probably it's more uh, you know uh, uh, nature than nurture, right? So um, I, I, yeah, I'm an idea guy, but I, I've always loved the Goethe quote that um, there's boldness and genius in action. And if you just have ideas, that's just that's that's not you know, it's fabulous, but it doesn't make you any money. Uh, so the key is to then implement. Um, a good example is uh, kind of dovetailing what I – so part of this uh, radiation is I lost taste. I, I still can't taste anything. Mm. And, um, and and that's not good. I like taste. I like tasting wine, and I don't do that anymore. But um, I said, well, let's – you know, one of the side effects of not tasting is you lose weight. 
So I lost like 50 pounds. Uh, now I have to almost struggle to keep weight on. And I went, well, wait a minute. But well, why don't we create a product that you spray in your mouth and you lose taste? And therefore, the value of food goes away and it helps you with weight loss. So that's the idea of taking an idea. And then I hired a chemist in Brazil who made the formula and we produced it in Mexico and we're going to test it. Now, it could be horrible and it, it kills people and that would be bad. Um, or it's going to be something that helps people in their, their weight loss journey, right? So it's an idea, an idea that turns into a product that may or may not work. Take a risk. And that's pretty much true with a lot of businesses I have, that it's something that I get easily bored in the same business all the time. I think you share this, this, this same compunction. And so I, once that business is running and I've got good people running it, let's try another business. And it may or may not work. I've had ones that have failed and thumbs, some that have worked really well. That's part of the game. Do you have some of this food spray on you? Or are you going to pull I don't. out, it, pull it out a vial? Sh- it's shipping to me right now. And turn and this I, into a QVC yeah. ad? And, and the best part about the product is the tagline. It's no taste, less waste. Nice. See, see, double nice. entendre and waste. Uh, I was going to bring it here because the PM uh, PM Health people we were supposed yeah. to be jogging this morning. Yeah. Uh, they said, "Hey, we'll be your guinea pigs." So I hoped I was hoping to have it here because we got to test it. But uh, maybe next time. That is wild. Yeah. Well, I do want to back up and kind of trace back your journey. So I've watched you since you got into the industry, kind of scale things, try a bunch of things, and it's gone well for you. But where exactly did you come from? Was it the real estate brokerage side? Yeah, I think I think I have pretty much the the standard origin story, if you will. Right. So I was a top realtor. In the late 90s, early 2000s, had a brokerage, had 70 agents, selling 60, 70 homes a year, building property in Southern California. And then that little thing called the recession hit. And I will say, I was my, my nose was in the ground. I didn't see it coming, and I wasn't prepared for it. Got through it. Lost almost all those agents. Uh, lost most of my business. And it was about 2012. I said, okay, there's going to be another recession. We never know when it's going to be. But I'd be a really, I, it, it would be a, a tragic if I wasn't prepared for this one. I, I wasn't ready for the 90s, wasn't ready for 08. So I started property management really as a defense mechanism to, um, you know, to have a stream, stable, stable, stable income. income. Um, the same reason I think a lot of us do. And I did sort of the, then it was, doors were falling out of the sky, right? Everybody was turning their homes into rentals, buying other property. So I grew fairly consistently. Uh, and the big change that where my I think my career took a little change was I still had these little agents that around me that had also you know gone through the recession who also wanted stable income, and LA is such a big market we're getting leads now in places an hour away. Well, that's where my agents lived, and so I said, well, if I can do property management, they can do property management. So what we did was create a virtual property management company. So you know we go from 300 doors and whatever that was, we now manage about 1,200 residential doors throughout Southern California mm. with 30 branch managers, and they work from home, and we sell them the doors to manage. So we're the marketing group. We're the ones that convert leads to doors, and they manage those doors. And that was probably where I deviate from most property management companies. And um, and then we saw so we a real estate company, residential escrow company, which is we do in Southern California. And then the last big pivot was association management. I said, well, if we can do residential management, we should be able to do association management. How much harder can it be? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, everybody told me, it's really hard. You really shouldn't do it. And I said, well, you know, sometimes when the house is on fire, you run in, you don't run out. And I decided to run into that fire. And it took us a couple of years to figure it out, it, you know, but faster than residential. And now we add about two to three associations a month. And they're managed by our branch managers, who are also our residential property managers. 
Um, and same thing, we're really a virtual res- association manager company as well. Now, that's interesting that you have your residential folks handling the HOA Correct. side. Before we get into that, in terms of this branch manager model and that whole paradigm, when you were walking through that process, I mean, this is not that dissimilar to traditional portfolio property management, right? Well, mm-hmm. Is there any distinction in any way? Is this materially different than traditional portfolio management? No, it's exactly what it is. So it, 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 they are the boots on the ground. They do leasing, tenant issues, owner issues, renewals, inspections. So, and, and really how it works. And, and not to be dismissive of realtors, but there are a lot of good people who are really bad realtors, but like the lifestyle, they like 1099. They like setting their own hours. They don't want to go, go to a cubicle. And we found that their time, I wouldn't call it cheap, but they're willing to sell their time for less, if you will. So if they're managing 40 properties, that's maybe taking 40 hours a, a month, mm-hmm. um, but they're making $3,000 a month and they love that. They love keeping that lifestyle. They'll have three or four side hustles sometimes. Um, so, uh, yes, it's really like a portfolio model. And then in the, in where we are, I still manage about 300 properties in the, 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 the OG. And on that one, I have a typical property management company. We have VAs and a property manager and, and the, you know, kind of a departmental. So it's interesting. So they get some downside protection while still being able to pursue their upside on the transactional side of things. That makes sense. I can see the attraction. On the the difference and the distinction between traditional portfolio, the fact that you're handling acquisition, you're not expecting them to grow their portfolio. Correct. That's different. That's yeah, you yeah. recognizing. That's that department. The marketing department generates the doors for them to manage. Correct. The least likely function that they're likely to actually lean they into. They will not spend a dollar of their own money to get a new door because they don't trust the process. They're not going to risk it. Correct. They're not going to develop that skill set. They're not going to get over that hump and create that kind of flywheel. Correct. So you, you're not only willing to do it, but you're funding it via this arrangement of where they're buying doors from you. Correct. And the, the goal, and we're never quite there, is to be sort of a net a, a net cost on the marketing. So if I, well, I just drop 10,000 pieces out of state, cost me, say, $5,000. So if I can generate 20 doors and charge them each for those doors, say, $500, why well, recoup the cost of the marketing plus the business development manager, right? So the idea is, well, I could drop 10,000, 20,000 pieces, 40,000 pieces. The market's turning now in California. That wasn't as productive the last couple of years because of the market we're in. But, um, you know, it's, it's our time to shine here the next few years. You know, as uh, California is becoming a California renter state where it's impossible to self-manage, but you want to keep the asset because mm-hmm. you like the asset, you like the tax benefits. Um, we're going to have a real estate recession. It won't be grim. You know, prices will go down 5 or 10%. Sales will go down 10 to 20%. But sellers will say, I'm not going to sell my home at a discount. I'll keep it as a rental. Uh, and, um, you know, so we have a lot of trends in our favor in California that I think it will be back to where we were in 2010, 2012, where, you know, people were, the phones were rigging quite regularly to, for property management services. And since that time, we just created a better business model. Our pricing's better, programs, fees, our, our revenue per door is much higher. So every door we take on is now a profitable door. You know, one of the things that you got early on was offers. That's something I observed with you is you understood the totality of an offer independent of what I do. In many cases, offers are designed by operators who are engineering minded and the constraints of the offer is defined by how convenient it's going to be on me operationally, as opposed to optimizing purely for what is going to be the most effective offer. In your experience, you've talked in the past, you, you, I guess you coined the term SMIPOs, if I'm not mistaken. SMIPOs, yeah, self-managing investment property owners, yeah. What, Where have you landed over time in terms of the offers and the tonality that's really landed with your consumer? Sure. And I've worked with other people in our industry on this. We worked at a kind of a little 
cabal on you know fees and programs, right? So what I learned was the self-managing person, um, they care about the management fee, kind of ignore everything else. They ignore what you're charging the tenant. They ignore the programs you're charging them, the fees you're charging them you know, for other services rendered. So I, I made a, a hard pivot with the self-managing investment property owners to make almost the pricing a loss leader. It's not, but it looks like a loss leader. Uh, to get them in the door. Because um, all my studies, because I do send out surveys to the investment community, is that 70% care about price. That's the most important factor. And rather than fighting them on price, I said, well, I'll give you price. But I'm taking all this other stuff. And it works well with my business model because the branch manager only gets a piece of the base management fee mm. and the leasing fee. But they don't get all the other stuff. Um, and still for me, residential management, it's not a loss leader. Our margins run about 15%. But it opens up the other margins. Uh, association management is 30%. Escrow is 40%. Real estate is 50%. So um, it works well for really all parties. You know, owner's happy. Uh, branch manager's happy. And, of course, we're happy. So, it's, yeah, the, the, the offer is, to me, um, of course, performance guarantees. That's part of it. Transparency on the pricing was important to me. Uh, we struggled in our market uh, early on because our, our rents range from $5,000 to $1,000. So you can't do a flat fee. That, that doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. And you can't do a percent because the guy in the high end says, I'm not paying you X percent to manage my property. So we did. A, I think I'm still the, one, the only one in the country doing a hybrid model. We said, well, let's charge you a flat fee plus a percent. So it looks like you're the lowest flat fee in the market, but you're the lowest percent in the market. And, and once we kind of explain that to the consumer through our marketing and how we do it, it, it resonated. I know a lot of companies I'm hearing through the grapevines, people lost a lot of doors the last couple of years. I mean, struggle, lost 10, 20, 30% of their doors. Mm. Well, even through this market, we were able to gain doors and keep on adding doors. That's beautiful. So as you thought about transitioning to some of these ancillary business units, what was the order? Was it first jumping into escrow and then into HOA? Um, we did it at the same time, to be honest with you. So escrow in Southern California, if people know what escrow is, we don't have attorneys. We don't. We have title companies. They just do the title. But escrow is the neutral third party. And I, we're one of the few places in the entire country. So when we do an escrow, um, it's, it's it's really good margins on that. So we started that um, beginning of this year. Uh, HOA started two years ago. I started two years ago. It's a kind of funny story. So I started it, and I had a really great branch manager. She's top, really good at what she does. I said, "You're gonna, you're gonna be my gal." So she took on our first two associations, and after, and we're still trying to figure out the back office and how to do this. And we're flailing about on operations, and she came to me after six months, and said, "Yeah, I hate this. I don't want to do this." I go, "Well, but you, you said you want to do it." She goes, "Yeah, it's terrible." So I thought, "Oh my god." This is not going to work for me because I'm not going to do a traditional mm-hmm. association management company that was not in the cards. And so I said, okay, I gave those associations to a couple other agents I liked. And sure enough, they loved them after six months. So I went, okay, it was a person, not the process. Mm-hmm. She just didn't like this. But these other two really do like it. And what we found was, um, after talking to these agents with the first three or four associations, is that residential property management is kind of hard because you got to make decisions. If you're a property manager, you can decide who the tenant is. How much do I take out a security deposit? How much do I charge them for rent? Should I evict them? Which vendor to use? Did they do the, you know, it's all, all these, you got to do an inspection. What should I look for? Um, with association, man, and you really don't have a relationship with the tenant or the owner. You kind of do with the owner a little bit. Tenant doesn't like you at all. Um, and with association manager, we found they actually liked the board. They created a relationship with the board that's personal. Mm-hmm. And two is, what we found is they don't have to make decisions. The board makes the decisions. You just implement 
look, I don't want to raise your dues, but those guys told me to raise your dues 30 bucks. You know, why, you know, I, I don't want to find you, but that's right here in the rules and regulations. So it almost frees them up. It's cathartic because they're, you know, they're, they're just Switzerland now. Mm. They're just implementing. They're not making decisions. And you get in a really um, uh, antagonistic relationship with your tenants because you're making t- tough decisions, which you should on behalf of the owner. Now, one of the things that you hear is this big, great divide between the single family and HOA. It is not uncommon for there to not be a commingling of labor. You're mm-hmm. obviously in a different paradigm, yeah. but I'm thinking about training. You're training agents to not only do PM. I mean, we know that the reputation that a lot of our industry relates to realtors kind of coming in and doing a couple of properties. Not sure. only are you doing that, but you're also training them to manage on the HOA side. Correct. What does your training and your oversight look like? So it's always one of the hardest checks you have to write is I had a top guy in the association management side to be my manager of association managers, to be my trainer, to be my sales guy, to be kind of the face of the company um, because they pay people more on that side of the business. And we made sure that on the back office, though, they are specifically work on only HOA, accounts payable, accounts receivable, escrow. So they are separate. And it's a separate, ah. yeah, it's a separate company name, too. So that's progressive association management, not progressive property management. Now, the branch managers, they literally have three cards. So I've got a real estate card, property management card, association management card. So they do wear the three hats. And then they get training on residential from a separate person who trains them on residential, keep them in compliance, sell them the door. You know, help them with that. That give them the law, a lot of laws. You know, help them with the the, the the legalities of that door. So there's they're hearing information from two sets of people. And on real estate, I have a broker of record, and if they have a deal and they've got a deal smith, then she works with them and works them through that process. Um, it's not confusing. You know, they they know wh- whom to speak to about whatever their issue might be. So keep talking to me about HOA. What are some of the other benefits from the attraction? If somebody's on the fence, looking at it and thinking there's some money there, but it feels like a lot of pain. What what's the totality of the upside that you saw to make the juice worth the I squeeze? I could tell you a hundred stories. So the, the first one I knew that it was a good business to be in. For our first HOA, we got it from the largest association management company in the country. It's called First Service. I managed thousands of HOAs through many states. And when I called them, say, give them the bad news that yeah, you've been fired and we've been hired. She goes, no problem. Let me send you to our offloading department. I go, what's an offloading department? She goes, well, that's a place that we get rid of all our HOAs because we get you know, we constantly lose HOAs. I went. You have an offloading department. I've never heard of a residential property management company with an offloading, offloading department, department yet. So I went, well, there's something wrong here where the biggest company's losing. And then there's a few other stats. Appfolio did a survey because they're trying to get in the HOA space. And 40% of all associations don't like their management company. 40%. My research on residential is 5%. 5% of owners are not currently happy with their management company. So there's a, a, lot, a huge pain point there. And really the biggest issue is, and once again, this is California, um, that, and this is two more, California is that the big boys, there's 10 big boys, I can name them right now, and they really want associations that are more than 150 owners, right? They, that's what they want. And then the mom and pops are just really too small. So there's a, there's a Goldilocks here of 50 to 150 doors in my marketplace where they're too big for the mom and pops, but too small for the big boys. Mm. And they feel left out. They're a training ground for community managers. And the typical community manager on the association, on the typical community manager manages 10 to 20 communities, 1,000 to 2,000 owners, W2 employee, sits in a cubicle. But, you know, if you think of that, they're being paid 25% of the base management fee. So they got to manage at least, you know, 2,000 owners to, to make a living in Southern California. And they're never in the office because if you're managing 20 associations, that's 20 on-site walks a month, that's 20 meetings a month. You get to mm-hmm. get compensated with hours from the company. So, okay, so they, you know, I, I, I tell these communities, don't blame the, blame the community manager. They're innocent. Blame their company that set them up for failure. 
to not give you the service you expect. Um, and, the, and then the pricing was the last piece was interesting. So pricing, I remember the first time I, I was trying to price, I go, how do you price this? How do you price a 82 owner association with $300 in dues? Well, the big boys have a, a book they go to. And they go, oh, built in 72, 82 owners. This is what we should charge because we have historical knowledge of what, how many hours it's going to take to manage this. Well, I didn't have that historical knowledge. So I said, well, it's kind of ridiculous that there's this kind of Ouija board mentality on pricing. So I created a uh, matrix that came, came from my hybrid pricing. And I said, here you go. Our pricing is totally transparent. Um, it's based on the number of owners, goes down you know, with the more owners because there's economies of scale and a percent of your dues. And it turned out it was it works really well. It, and it really appeals to that 50 to 150. And you know, just like any other business, what's your target market? So it's the association with 100 owners paying $300 a month. And we're going to charge them about $1,500 a month in, in mo- monthly management fee. But you make your money, if you didn't know, on escrows. Uh, we charge about $1,000 in escrow for demand, transfer, document, documentation. Costs us nothing, by the way. And then the other big one, which was, uh, uh, I'll give this to Allison DeSaro. When I got my first association, I called Allison. I said, hey, I got this association. I got like a million dollars in the bank. You know, What do I do? She goes, well, it's just like residential. You put it in the bank and we, we give you some bank credit. That was the aha moment. I'm like, you give me some money? to sit on this money. And um, fast forward, we sit on $10 million now. And, you know, think of whatever your bank credit is, it starts becoming quite, quite big money. meaningful. Yeah. And the last thing I'll tell you that was my aha moment, I told, I think I've told you this, is that you go to the typical residential property management company and look at their building. It's a hovel. You know, it is embarrassing. It's like just, you know, uh, put together with, uh, you know, tape, tape and glue. And you go to the typical association management building, and it's an edifice. All glass. Uh, all glass. <laughs> They're all washing the, the employees' cars. Like, well, there's a disconnect here. And over a lot of people in this industry said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's poops, parties, and parking. It's, uh, you know, terrible calls. Well, that's that's your opportunity then. If it's that bad, let's bring in somebody who does it better. And we do it better. They don't even use VAs in um, association management. They were shocked when I, I talked about using virtual assistants or remote workers to take a lot of these calls. So I, I just think in our industry, we've got the overhead covered. You got the you got the you got the GNA, um, you got the copiers. Um, yeah, is it scary? Yeah, of course it is. It's a new it's new, and you got to learn it. Um, but so what? You know that's 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 the opportunity. Bryn here from Lead Simple. I love Lead Simple, but that feels like a given. Instead of telling you why I love it, here's Sarah Hatch from Hatch Property Management. We're very happy, and I recommend so many people to Lead Simple because I'm like, oh my gosh, it changed our world. <laughs> It's totally changed our whole way of uh, managing properties and staying in contact. It's the best business investment I've ever made. To learn more and connect with one of my teammates, go to leadsimple.com slash podcast today. Now, educate me on the unit economics on the HOA side. We're all familiar sure. with concepts like, you know, on average revenue per unit, 164 bucks a month, yeah, yeah. profit per unit. Twenty twenty five dollars. Correct. Yeah. What what is the unit economics looks like for a sure? A and it, it looks sa- it sounds terrible when you say it, right? So um, uh, so bottom line is we 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 go our our average uh, revenue per door on uh, association for just base management fee is about twenty three dollars, twenty three and change. 
But then you make money on the bank credit, you make money in the escrow, you make money on liens, you make money on reimbursables, yada, 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 and other fees we charge. Um, and everything's a fee. Everything you do in associate, you get reimbursed. You get, you get a profit margin. We send out a piece of paper. We charge them for the paper plus the labor. So it's a profit center. Um, so that turns out to be $35 per owner per month. All in. All in. You're like, well, that's, you know, 100 versus 164. It's terrible. Well, the difference is that's 100 units, though. Okay, so that's, 30, that's $3,500 a month. For one for one association, and the profit margins for us is running about thirty uh, percent on that number. Um, so it's I, I always say the real estate business is the dollar business. Everybody wants to be in the dollar business, sell a million dollar home and get twenty five thousand dollars, and it takes you three you know three weeks. And then the property management's the nickel business. You know nobody wants to be in the nickel business, but we turn nickels into dollars. That's what we're trying to do as an industry. Well, association management's the penny business. And everybody wants to walk around the pennies to get to the nickels to get to the dollars. But the the so the difference is for many years, residential management, even though it was the nickel business, the margins were like pennies. Uh, well, even though association management's the penny business, the margins are like dollars. The margins is better. So it's and the other big difference that and, and I've got numbers around this, the acquisition cost of residential is much higher. So you know the numbers better than I do. Three fifty to five hundred typical acquisition cost for a door. Um, and it's well worth it because the value of a door is much higher than that. Um, association management, my acquisition cost is $10 a door. Hmm. $10. And, and, and by the way, they pay me for that because I charge them a setup fee of $5 an owner. So in a sense, it nets out to $5 a door. So, and that's for, so if I get, you know, a hundred, a hundred doors, it only costs me $500. It, so it's a, the acquisition cost is so much lower, it makes it more appealing. Plus, I think to get to, I'm now at about 2,300 doors in uh, association management, and that's all been about a year, year and a half. Um, so you can get to 3,000 doors in association management in a couple of years. It's really hard to get to 1,000 doors in residential in a few years. Now, how can the customer acquisition cost be so different? Are you pursuing a different channel strategy? Channel strategy. So you know, when we get acquisition, so I can't compete with Google with First Service, with Associa, with Keystone. I can't compete with them. They probably have 30 people in China knocking out code every day, right? So I have to go um, kind of guerrilla marketing on association management. So our best one is other management companies. You don't do it, I do. And I'll give you a referral fee. Um, all property management, which never worked for me in residential, was it just a race to the bottom on residential. Well, there is no race to the bottom in association management. There really is no, you know, everybody's kind of charging close to the same thing and they're looking for better service. And really the board doesn't really care that much what you're charging to be close because it's not their money. Mm -hmm. So it's a hundred people who's paying for it. So they're looking for service. So they're looking for somebody who cares about their community. Um, so that's their driver. And then lastly, the last thing I did is I built a, a direct mail that nobody has. So I, I was able to, because we have the multiple, multiple listing service. And I use Secretary of State. I built a database now, um, every day we build it, of the president, his home address, his association, and then we, we direct mail them. And we say we go directly to their and say, you know what, there's better out there. Mail them that little book I wrote. Um, and so um, it's a little guerrilla marketing because you can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big, big boys on Google. This is not – you can't do it. So rounding this conversation out on the HOA side, what about the vibe, the milieu, the ethos? Have you been to conferences? Do you know operators? Do you, do you have a sense of how operators on that side of the industry think? It is almost the polar opposite of this – of this of this of this meeting we're having you know here this convention so i went to cai cai which is the national you know forum for associations in vegas about a month ago and that conference was put on by first service 
the biggest association management company in the country, really put on the entire conference. And the whole point of that conference wasn't to help people become better association management companies. It was purely for acquisitions. It was just banks were all there to fund it. And you had three or four big companies saying, what do you want for your company? Just give me a write down a piece of paper. You know, we'll make it happen. And, and that was the entire conference. Other than these people, you know, the management companies getting hammered on free booze, it was the least productive two days of my life. Wow. Yeah. They were, it, it was zero networking and improvement of your business. The, most of the, the meetings were about how to pay your community managers less, you know, how to find more community managers because the burnout rate on community managers, the average tenure to companies five years. They burn out that quickly. They just move up, get burned out after managing all these people and getting yelled at all day long. So the ethos is the opposite of where we are here, where I mean, I'm speaking in front of people tomorrow on how to work on your business, not in it. Um, tell them my journey with Deb Newell and say, you know, I've done it or I, I'm on my path of doing it and I want to get you there. You're not getting that in association management. It's everybody in their silo. I, True story. When I, I picked up a couple of associations because there's a really bad management company in our area and um, I got a call. And they say, hey, the president of this company is on the phone. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, well, he's going to call me to congratulate me and tell me what, how, you know, how, how happy he is I'm in the industry. And he called and threatened me with a lawsuit. And he's going to sue me. And I said, but what grounds? He goes, I don't care what the grounds are. I'll just sue you. And I went, well, go ahead. Feel, I mean, that's, that's how nasty it is in that industry. It's like everybody in the back room counting their money and not, not sharing the information. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with sharing the information. It, it, I think it's an opportunity for residential um, we, we can do it better, bottom line. And, 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 and it's such a great profit. You only do it because it's profitable. You don't do it for you know, shits and giggles. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that certainly is a different vibe. So what's the logical progression here? You mentioned, of all the things you mentioned, short-term didn't come up. Is short-term on your radar? No, it's really not. I think that's a heavy lift for our business model because I, I, I'm not going to trust a branch manager to do short-term rentals. I think you really have to have a, a, a top in, you know, in-house group to do it. Um, plus, in California, they're killing short-term rentals up and down the coast. They don't want them. Cities don't want them. So there's a big backlash against them. Um, I think I think for me, it's pushing out. It's San Diego. It's Ventura. It's Coachella. Um, it, you know, I, I, I'd love to do this business model in Indiana um, or have other management companies adopt it. Um, there, there's going to be, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of realtors falling out of the real estate tree in the next few years. Mm. And But want to stay in the business. Want the lifestyle. Want the 1099 income. Um, and we can be there for them if we choose to, um, or we just let them, you know, fall to the ground and, and keep on going. But we're, we're in a position as an industry, particularly residential, uh, you know, it's our time to shine. We, we've been, you know, we've had a rough, rough go of it the last four or five years um, between laws and, you know, the, mar- the real estate market. Well, all things change. And, and I think you, you should, be, what are you doing today? But Jeff Bezos has a great line that People will congratulate Amazon for a great quarter. He goes, no, no. That's something we did three years ago. Mm-hmm. So what, what am I doing today to anticipate what's happening three years from now? And for us, it's just keep on growing our, our, our branch managers, association management, residential. Um, and uh, and you know, my, my next big passion, I think there's an opportunity to do syndications, fix and flips, you know, all that kind of stuff when that market comes back. So as you reflect back over the last four or five years, what sticks out to you in terms of how the industry has matured and grown in that kind of that the arc of the time that you've been in the industry? It's always been spectacular. I have, I have a list of all the changes in our industry the last twenty years, and it's it's, it's mind blowing. All those things have gone on. I think you're seeing a race toward delegation, automation. Um, I think you're gonna, you know, I think we're getting more efficient. Our, our margins, if the people, a well run company has gone from five percent to twenty percent, our revenue per door has gone from one hundred and fifty. Some people hitting two fifty. 
the industry has embraced, um, you know, charging fees for work done, for offering programs that solve pay, pain points. Um, there's been, a, I, I think the, the good are getting better. And if you're not incrementally improving your company, uh, the aggregation of small gains, making tiny improvements every day in your company, embracing change, implementing it, you could be left behind. It, it's going to be an industry of really big VC back. They don't mm. bother me. Mm. But then big local companies. The big companies that are managing 2,000, 3,000 doors, residential doors, managing 5,000, 10,000 association doors with revenue streams that they can put back into marketing. Um, I never offered health. I never offered a retirement plan because my margins are too thin. We offer both now. And you've got to compete with that. You know, if you're a property management company, you have to compete with the fact that not only do I have a, you know, I'm paying them a proper wage, but I'm taking care of my employees and they have a great work environment. Um, I think as a company, you have to have a, a compelling vision. You know, and as you would say, you know, most don't. Um, I, I do a mastermind with a group of uh, 10 good, good, good operators and not one had a vision statement. They had a mission statement. We provide great customer service. We're our, but but what's 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 compelling your your employees? Getting them excited about the future. Um, ours is that we liberate realtors from uh, income instability. That's what we know we do as every employee there, and then we manage happiness. We're here there to take care of our communities and take care of our owners. So, so as an industry, I think we've gotten better. I think there's a risk now that have have we peaked? You know what's left what's left out there? You know. Um, uh, you know, how many VA companies can you, you see at a, at a conference, right? Um, so I, I, I don't know what's around. The, I don't know if there's another, you know, a rabbit in our hat as an industry. Um, I think right now it's about implementing all the stuff out there. I think for the most part, we're not, a lot of operators are, are not doing that. What's your take on all the roll-up taking place in our industry right now? Yeah, I, I get a call every other day, right? You know, or an email from, from a company. Um, it's, it's not, not bad for our industry. You know, in the end, I, it, here's the difference between um, – probably association residential. I've never had an owner call us to say, you know, I'm looking for the biggest property management company. Is that you? How many doors? I said, I'm looking for at least 3,000 doors under management. I'm not going to, they want best. They mm-hmm. want better. So I don't think the VCs should worry anybody about their service standards. What you should be concerned about is price matters. And if a VC or a roll up can, can offer a price, a compelling, you know, price as a loss leader to everything else. Well, that, that is, that is a little dangerous. Um, or if their marketing is such that they can do radio or TV, you know, really aggressively. I'm not worried because, as we go back to SMIPO, 70% of people self-manage. In my market area, that's a million people self-managing. If only 20% said, look, I can't do this. It's just, I've, A, I've got a lot of equity. I've got a good margin now. You know, I was running it for 2000 ran for 3000 I could afford a property management company for $150. Bucks. Um, that'd be 200,000 doors needing property management. Not enough management companies out there to absorb all those doors. So um, I, I, it's for me, all that's kind of on the periphery. If I get the call, I'm not interested. Uh, I'm never selling my company. Um, it, it keeps me connected to people, to my staff. Mm-hmm. I go in there now. My job is, I've been, I think, resource allocation, make sure they have the resources, make sure they have the proper staffing, general direction of the companies, um, and, and hiring. But um, uh, to write me a check right now, you know, I'm not interested, you know, but there are others who are, and if they, they should entertain it. It's going to be a competitive zone out there. Yeah. It's going to be tough to be uh, just like an association management. The middle players are being gobbled up and the small ones don't have the resources to provide the service that people expect. So your passion for what you do is palpable. I can see it. I can feel it now. I've always felt it in my conversations with you. Circling back to the beginning of our interview, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey and your reflection. What changed for you in terms of perspective in going through that cancer journey, that experience? 
you when it hit, I, you know, I've always been really healthy. Um, and, um, and I, I, it was the, the, what really hit me was that you've got to have your, uh, your whys to get, you know, to get through the how, right? The how was grim. Um, but I would focus on it, particularly my tribes. I'm a big believer in your tribes. So your family's a tribe. And, uh, coincidentally, my daughter had her first grandchild right, right when I got sick, right in February. Mm. He's eight months old now. And your wives are your family, your grandkids, taking care of them. My son's in my business. He's going to take over the business one day. Sell him a little piece of it every year. My daughter works for me in the business. My wife will work for me in the business after she retires. So the wives are, and then, but, but my other tribe is my real estate community. I'm on the board of, of Pacific West Board of Realtors. I'm on that board. I'm a California Association of Realtors director. I care about real estate. I care about the direction. I care about property management. So I'm, I'm here. I'm a vendor here. So we are promoting tenant boost here and we're trying to make that work where you know, let's, let's monetize tenants, not just the ones we have, but the ones who, who are inquired about a property. Um, I'm passionate about association management now. I think that we have a better business model. Um, I've never done anything for money. I mean, that's, it's important you make money. I've always done something to just build a better mousetrap. And if you build a, build, build a better mousetrap, the world beats a path to your door. We were talking about Franklin Barbecue. You do good barbecue, you got to line out the door, mm -hmm. and you sell out at 1 o'clock. You do bad barbecue, you're out of business very quickly. Um, and I think our business is the same. You've you got to get up every morning and say, how can I build a better business? What can I do to improve whatever facet it is? And that, would, that just absolutely gets me excited and the opportunities out there. We are the nexus. Residential property management is the nexus of owners, tenants, associations, realtors, vendors. You know, it, and and we, we need to monetize all those different facets, investors, of course. Um, and, and that's why we're in a special, you know, I think a special, and that, that's what gets me excited that, uh, I get easily bored on one thing, <laughs> as you might tell. So I, I, it's fun to be able to dabble in different areas. And once we strike gold, hire somebody to remove as much gold as possible from that, from that mine. I get it. Makes sense. So teasing that out, a bit more as I think about what it's been like for me as an entrepreneur to go from survival early mm -hmm. on, which at the time it feels hard. It feels yeah. like a tough, so, a tough been, thing. Been there, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, part of my reflection is that I look back fondly on those days of survival because yeah. it was really clean and my why was very clean and pure. Yeah. I didn't need huge aspirations. Nah. I didn't need to be motivated. Now, when you're a foxhole and those bullets flying over, you're, you're pretty focused. Yeah. Quite sufficiently motivated at <laughs> yeah. that time. Now you get bigger and eventually you reach more of your financial goals. And now you do have to be more honest. And as I reflect in my conversation with my wife, it's harder for me to say, oh, I got to go, honey. I got to be on the road. I, gotta, I, don't, I don't really have to. Yeah. I, I could not and everything would be okay, which is an opportunity for me to take more ownership mm -hmm. of my own choices. Correct. I want to. I'm getting to do this and I'm Correct. getting something out of it more than financially. Part of that is the whole question around the deferral of pleasure of life experiences mm -hmm. that I'm going to do all this. So eventually I'll get that Correct. when you were facing in the middle of this cancer battle, did that shift or change at all this relationship with this idea of kind of deferred pleasure at some, something into the future when that, that future was threatened? Yeah, you, you totally nailed that. I happen to read a book. Um, it's, uh, the, uh, the psychology of money It's a great book, by the way. And the, the point of the book was the ultimate return on investment is doing what you want when you want for how long you want to do it. That's freedom. Um, I more and more, you know, and I, I've earned it at this point. I do what I want when I want for as long as I want to do it. So I, I'll go in the office, maybe get there at nine or 10, maybe leave it two or three. Maybe read a book when I get home. Um, I have ultimate control over my time, and 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 my I I, I believe my time is valuable now. So uh, I 
I will not do anything I don't want to do anymore. You know, and if it's not pleasurable, I don't do it. I don't go to it. Period. End of story. Um, I'll do funerals and weddings. That's pretty much it. You know, you know, and 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 so that's that's who I am. And and look for the next challenge. And and I, what the thing is, I don't know what the next challenge is. It'll pop up today, tomorrow, and embrace it and run with it. Yeah, and and, and use what I've got and, and and solve the problem. So taking that full circle, you reflect on that as where you're at now, and I think everybody would love to be there. In terms of correlation versus causation, do you believe that you taking and adopting that perspective actually puts you in a better position to be able to have that dream and vision? Yeah. You, the nice thing about being working on the business is that you're looking forward, not you're not in the moment. Uh, and when you're in that foxhole, it's the moment. And I think of transition from the moment to the future, right? And and um, and I, you have to be intentional. Life's about being intentional, not not cause you, you just can't let life happen to you. You've got to take control and analyze the situation and pivot. You know, if I hadn't started property management and got my ass handed to me for the first few years, I was in property management, I think one year and I got audited by the Department of Real Estate and it didn't go well. <laughs> I can tell you that. You can look it up. And um, and I'm glad that happened. I told my staff at the time, I'm glad it happened now and not 10 years from now. And sometimes you want to get your ass handed to you early, not later. And, uh, and that happened. As a, yeah, happened in association, happened in residential, happened in real estate with me as well. And um, and that's a good thing. Sometimes we just had we just lost thirty thousand dollars. Somebody stole money, and I and everybody was really distraught at the company. We set on what fifteen million between reserves and security deposits and all the rest. And I said, well, I'm glad it wasn't three hundred thousand. Ironically, I just had my PET scan that morning. It was clear. I said, there's bigger fish to fry. You know, they needed the money. You know, but well, let's tighten up our processes, make sure it never happens again. Mm. But it wasn't. 3 million. It wasn't 300,000. Mm. And everyone was distraught. And I said, don't worry. It's going to be okay. This will make us a better company. Failure sometimes, or not failure, but making a mistake will make you a better company, yeah. a better person. Learning lessons that scale. I yeah. couldn't agree more. I've had yeah. that same experience where something really painful happened, mm -hmm. but I was super clear that that knowledge and that experience would scale because of the moral conviction that came from a really hard slap. Yeah. A theoretical lesson on a whiteboard, Maybe you use it, maybe you don't. Yeah. When you really get burned on the flesh, yeah. that's something you don't forget. It's something you can actually bloom into a much bigger win down the line. Yeah, and the day you stop learning and stop taking risks and stop make and, and, and stop making mistakes and learn from mistakes, I think you stop growing. You know, I'm fifty-eight. Hard to believe, I know. I know you're looking like you know, you look exactly fifty-eight, maybe fifty-nine. <laughs> uh and you know, if I haven't learned something by now, then shame on me. You know, I it's been a I've had a few lessons during my, my life. And so uh now it's my turn to manage those around me and, and help them when they make a mistake. And it's kind of a nice transfer. I, for years, I, I built a brand, the Scott Brady brand. It was about me, 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 my brand, you know, sell 80 homes, blah, blah, blah. I'm the best. And it's really pleasing. That's not about me. Mm. My name's not on the company. Mm. It, it is, it is something else. And my job now is to lift these people. Make, we give 35 people a living in real estate. A great living in real estate. They're so they're they're so happy. They have this opportunity. It's beautiful. Why not have a hundred doing mm. this? Why not give a hundred people the opportunity to have be liberated from income instability, take care of their children, work from home, um, and so that that's what drives me is giving this opportunity to more people and and more staff members as well. Well, let's end it here, Scott. Okay. I know that you're a big educator, you're a reader, you're an autodidact, which I really, really respect and appreciate. I heard Kevin Kelly, the, the guy that came up with the idea of 1,000 true fans, say that he's never met somebody he really respected that didn't read more books than him. Yeah. Now, that's a pretty opinionated statement, Yeah. but it kind of landed with me. Yeah. I want to know from you, what's the, what's the last best thing you read that you think everybody listening right now should go grab a copy of? 
I think The Psychology of Money was a great book. I've read a million books on investing, I Dollar Cost Average, Random Walk Down Wall Street. That book was by far the best book I've read on money and the psychology of money. Uh, and it was it was, it was was just accurate, 100% accurate. So that was a great book. I've read so many. I, re- I read about a, a book a week. Yeah, maybe maybe more than that. Yeah. So um, I've kind of I went I just Googled best books of 2021 and there's nothing left. So um, I'm reading a book. I uh, what's another book? I've, I've read so many books recently. Um, I, I read a book about triggers. And I thought that was interesting. I'll, I'll give you the title that that we need a trigger to to affect change. And it's hard for people just to affect change without a trigger. And that's what, how, how I came up with tasteless weight loss. That's a trigger. I'm going to spray this in my mouth. And I'm going to try to lose weight today versus waking up going like, I'm just going to eat less. See how that goes. And I think a trigger is something that put, moves moves the needle. A trigger could be paying a consultant. A trigger could be implementing a new program. You've got to, you've got to trigger. You've got to do something and take action. And um, I, I love my I love this industry. I love residential property management. We have too many people sitting in their, their, their foxhole. Comfy. N- not, not wait, hoping they get more doors, praying for better margins. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. And, um, and it's about there. A lot of them here at this convention, they're gonna hear a lot of stuff, but in the end, it's taking risks, Amen. spending money on marketing, hiring a BDM, Amen. replacing yourself, using lead simple, you know, implementing. And, and, and if you do that, this is, there's some amazing people here making really a lot of money. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be making otherwise. Well, I think it would be beautiful and a big act of irony if after writing a couple of books, all this conversation, everything you've learned that all your riches are made through tasteless weight loss. Yeah, so be, that would be ironic. I know. Yeah. <laughs> here's to hoping for that. Yeah. That has a bright future. I appreciate you coming in and Great. sharing what you learned. It's always a pleasure, Scott. And thank you, Jordan, for starting that change in me about two years ago and set me on a different path. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you back, man. All right. Until next time. All right. All right.